For those of you who are worshiping online, we know that there is difficulty with the stream and we are so sorry that it's difficult for you to worship. There will be um, an opportunity to watch it on, on our webpage later in the day. So we are so sorry, but we are calling all of us together today to worship with rejoicing, thankful hearts. Rejoice in the Lord again. Again, I will say rejoice. As we come into God's presence this morning, let us rejoice and be glad to the God of our salvation. Let us sing our praise and worship our loving, merciful, gracious God with hearts full of joy. I'd like to invite the Chantilla family to come forward for the lighting of the third Advent candle. Today, we relight the candles of hope and peace. Now, we light the third candle of the Advent wreath. This is the candle of joy, as we proclaim the coming of Jesus Christ, that in him, God is with us. We remember that Jesus is our hope, peace, and joy. The psalmist exalts to God, you have made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. 
Isaiah writes, Isaiah writes of the coming Messiah like this. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt. O earth, break forth, O mountains into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his suffering ones. St. Paul teaches us the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us pray. Gracious God, we joyfully praise you that your promise of a Savior has been fulfilled. Thank you for the gift of salvation through your Son. Fill us with the joy of your Spirit as we see your glory revealed supremely in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In humility and faith, let us confess our sin, first in unison and then in silent personal confession. Lord God, eternal and almighty Father, we acknowledge and confess before your holy majesty that we are sinners who make no end of breaking your commandments. We lament that we have disobeyed and dishonored you and in true repentance ask you to forgive and help us by your grace. Most gracious and merciful God, in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, bestow on us your mercy. Daily increase in us the filling of your Holy Spirit, that from our inner hearts we may become truly repentant, and that your same Spirit may increase in us fruits worthy of your righteousness and holiness through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. This is the covenant I will establish, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, 
and they will be my people. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Please join me in declaring and affirming the foundations of our faith together. We believe in one God whose almighty word brought forth the universe, who speaks to us by his spirit through what he has created and through what has been written for us in Holy Scripture. We believe that at the right moment in time, God's word became flesh in the life of Jesus of Nazareth, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. We believe that this good news of great joy, which heralded Jesus' birth, also points us to the cross on which Jesus died and to his empty tomb. There the angel's message, he is risen, heralded the glorious good news of Christ's resurrection. We believe that this same Jesus is alive to meet us every day and to offer us new and abundant life. We rejoice in the knowledge that he will one day return to rule in righteousness, to renew the earth and to claim us as God's own. Please be seated. I'm so happy to welcome you to worship today on this third Sunday of Advent at National Presbyterian Church. And for those of you who are here in the sanctuary, I invite you to take out that uh, guest book and sign your name. And there's also a little prayer card in there. And if there's something that is just really weighing on your heart and you would like someone to intercede for you, we invite you to, to write in your that prayer request on that prayer card. You can leave it with the ushers after the end of the service, or you also can put it in the box that's in the Welcome Center. And for those of you who are here, that it's your very first time trying our church, we're so glad that you've come today. And we invite you to join us after the worship service in the Welcome Center. There's a gift there for you, and there's wonderful, happy people who are um, just waiting to answer any question you might have and just to tell you about the life of this congregation. It's very exciting, I have to say. And you know that those of you who are online are having a hard time connecting with us today, but I also invite you to just leave your prayer requests with us when you can, because um, we do want to pray for all of our congregation. Today is the final day to do the mission gifts in person downstairs all the way to the very bottom at Stone Fellowship Hall. There's all sorts of um, opportunities to give uh, meaningful gifts and to bless people locally and internationally. And I invite you to take the opportunity to go down there and, and see all the exciting offerings that, that we have for you. And you can also continue to participate in the mission gifts all the way through December 31st. 
Now, I told this to the first congregation, and they had a hard time believing it, and I'll see if you do too. Next week is Christmas Eve. <laughs> I know, right? We have a special service for you in the morning, one service at 10 a.m., and we also have three services in the evening, and the first one's at 5 o'clock. That's the family worship service where we tell the story of Jesus in song through our children and our youth and our adults. So the 10 o'clock service in the morning and the 5 o'clock service in the evening, we will be having, be having a complimentary um, photography uh, opportunity for you to take photos in our beautiful, um, I don't know, scene, or Christmas scene. So I just want you to know that that's an opportunity. We're trying something new for you and see if you like that or not. Tell us because we want to hear. And also at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock, we're having worship as well. That's the candlelight service. And that is just so special and meaningful. Um, I just love that. It was my first time to have Christmas with you last year. And now I'm an old hat with you. Um, but I just invite you to come back to worship um, at 8 or 10 o'clock or 5. And there's also some more information about the New Year's Eve day service. That's in your bulletin. But for now, let us continue our worship with the reading of Holy Scripture. Is from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. 
The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. today to come forward and join me on the chancel, if you would. Good morning. Welcome. Oh, I like your star. Oh, yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. Mm -hmm. Welcome. Come on down. Well, it looks great. Um, good morning. Good morning. Come have a seat wherever you're comfortable. Um, so, as you can see here, I have a tower. Um, who here likes to build with blocks? Yeah? Or maybe use Legos or these. These are called magnetiles. They're like the fancy Lincoln logs of my time. Um, they're pretty cool. Um, so let me give you a scenario, okay? What if you are building with blocks like you like one day, just, you know, in your house, and you built this big tower, and you were really proud of it, right? You had a good time. But then I come into the room, and I just knock it down on the ground. How would you feel about that? Sad, right? But then, let's say I said, I'm sorry, and hopefully you'd forgive me. The next day, let's say you were doing it again, but this time you were being in a, building a big house, and it was even cooler and bigger, and you were super, super excited about it. Um, but then I come into the room and sneak up and knock it over again. How would you feel then? Still sad? Maybe, maybe a little mad, angry? Yes, exactly. Angry at me? But then I said, I'm sorry. Um, and maybe you'd forgive me. Uh, let's say the next day you're building another tower um, and you're looking around, like looking for me, like, is he gonna come knock it down? Um, but I don't even act sneaky this time. I just rush into the room and I knock everything down. And then I say, I'm sorry. How do you think you would feel? Sad. Sad? Yeah. If I. Yes, you'd be angry because I kept doing it again and again, right? But I said sorry each time, right? But if I keep doing the same thing over and over again, you start to wonder if I'm really sorry about it or not, right? Um, well, the Bible, there's this big word in the Bible called repentance. And repentance means basically when we're doing something wrong or mean, we ask God for forgiveness, and we also stop doing that thing put it in simple terms, right? Like, we don't just say sorry to say sorry, but we also stop doing the mean thing, like knocking down your blocks. Um, repentance actually means to turn away from sin or from wrong things or mean things, to even run away from it um, and run back to God and obey God. So it's a big word, but that's kind of what it means. And... Um, we turn back to God and we obey God, and God probably doesn't want us doing mean things like knocking down people's towers or something else, right? 
Um, so God calls us all to this repentance, to ask for forgiveness, and then to turn and obey God again. But sometimes it can be hard to break these bad habits, right? We might be really sorry about something, but we still do it again. Like, I know I'm not supposed to pull my sister's hair, but what if she made me really mad? And I did it again. But I was sorry, because I knew I shouldn't have. Um, well, the awesome thing about God is, even when we mess up, even if it's again and again, God always gives us the opportunity for this repentance, to turn and obey um, and God always forgives us when we come to him. So, um, even when we feel like breaking a bad habit or a mean thing is really hard, um, God will give us the power through the Holy Spirit, um, which is always strong enough to help us turn and obey God. All right, will you pray with me? All right, dear God, thank you for forgiving us. Help us turn away from sin and obey you. And thank you that you love us no matter what. Amen. All right, you are welcome to join Miss Kristen and Miss Jill in the back for Children's Chapel, or you may return to the adults that brought you. The Lord is with you. I truly want to thank you for joining us in worship this morning on this third Sunday of Advent. And uh, I want to thank you, Jennifer, for reading scripture for us this morning, reading our scripture lesson. I invite you to turn with me in your pew Bible to page 834. And I'm not sure what's going on online, but if there's still somebody out there, we're having some challenges this morning. If you can join us online, you can take your own Bible, or for those of us here, the Bible that you brought, and turn to Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. Luke 3, 17, 7 through 18. And just as ammonia inhalants or smelling salts are used to revive someone who has temporarily lost consciousness. So is Advent and the message of Advent important to reviving our sleeping, sagging hearts and to revive a sleeping church. Smelling salts contain ammonium carbonate and when it is crushed and broken, it releases ammonia gas and the strong, pungent smell of ammonia then stimulates the respiratory system and it helps to jolt that person. It helps that person to regain consciousness. And like smelling salts, John's message to us today has that pungent effect. It has that reviving effect on those who heard him.
And so let's pray that God's word would have the same effect on us today. Please join me in prayer. Holy Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into our willing soul. Bring the presence of the risen Lord to renew our heart and make us whole. Cause your word, Lord, cause your word to come alive in us. Give us faith for what we cannot see. Give us passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in this community, the National Presbyterian Church family. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I was thinking to myself this week as I was preparing and thinking through the message this morning that if John presented his sermon to a seminary homiletic class, his professor of preaching would dock him a few points. And you say, why would I say that? Well, it's a tough sermon. And I imagine the comments from the professor, they would go something like this, John, your style is too intense. You need to tone it down a bit. Your language, John, needs to be more inclusive. Please avoid using archaic words like repentance. Your tone is judgmental and it lacks grace. You come across abrasive and insulting to your listeners. And then when the professor hands back the written sermon, at least that's how I had to do it in seminary, you provide a written sermon of what you preach to the professor. The professor then would hand it back with, with red lines drawn through certain phrases. Brood of vipers. <laughs> Coming wrath. Fruits for repentance. The axe is at the root of the tree. Trees not bearing fruit are cut down and thrown into the fire. And then at the very end, the professor would write, I'd like to give you an opportunity to preach this again. Please resubmit your sermon. <laughs> How would John respond to the professor's comments? Here's what I think John would say. With all due respect, sir, or ma'am, for me, this is a life and death struggle. People need to know. I have a single mission to prepare the way for the coming of King Jesus. Messiah is coming to give his life and forgiveness from sin. I don't have a long time. I'm not a caretaker. My job is to confront religious hypocrisy among the various leaders, and I'm just here to get in, get it done, and then get out of the way for King Jesus. And one more thing. Regarding your comments about the intensity of my preaching, I know, I know I sound like someone whose house is on fire, but I can't help it. Messiah is coming, and people need to get ready. If you were part of that audience, 
in that desert when John preached his message, what would you do? In my journey as a pastor, I have seen it all. When these kinds of messages are delivered, there are typically maybe three responses. One, people are outraged. They're offended. And even before John finishes, finishes his sermon, those people are finding the exit and they're heading back to Jerusalem. Another possible response, and I've seen this happen, I have a lot of pastor friends. The folks are upset and they get together and they say, we've got to figure something out so we can get rid of this man. And you know what happened to John, they really did that. But then I've seen also with these kinds of messages that there are people in the audience who will say, he's speaking to me. I need to change my ways. Today, today, in our time, we pejoratively call such preachers hell, fire, and brimstone preachers. And we see them as relics from the distant past. They should never be given a platform in our 21st century sophisticated culture. These people sound so out of touch with the modern world. Well, there are two books that I want to share with you that might change your mind about this kind of preaching. Some of you may remember the book written by Robert Bella, a very influential book, came out maybe in the late 80s, early 90s, 90s called Habits of the Heart, Individualism and Commitment in American Life. And if you want to read it, if you've read it, you may remember that popular phrase that he coined in the book, expressive individualism. And he told tons of stories about people who designed their own faith. At the time he wrote, 80% of Americans agreed with this statement. And if we can get it on the screen, an individual should arrive at his or, own, his or, or her own religious beliefs independent of any church or synagogue. 80%, and this is when the book was released, back in the early 80s, late in the early 90s, he concluded that the most fundamental belief in American culture is that moral truth is relative to individual consciousness. And so our culture if that's true, has no problem with a God of love who supports us no matter how we live. It does, however. Our culture objects strongly to the idea of a God who judges people for their sincerely held beliefs, even if they're mistaken. Here's a second book I want to reference for you in 2009. Christian Smith, who is a professor, sociology at Notre Dame, and his co-writer, Melinda Lundquist Denton, wrote the book Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And as you see on the screen, it was in this book that this, this famous statement this famous way of thinking was, was referenced. Moralistic, therapeutic deism 
And it's not just a description of teenagers, but it's more a description of the state of all of us Christians in the American church. Moralistic, therapeutic deism is a view of God that is taught in many settings. Here are some of the, the tenets of this new way, this designer faith. Number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, to be nice, to be fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Number three, the central goal of the American life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to help us resolve a problem. And then number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And some of you are saying, so what's the problem? What's your problem, pastor? What's the big deal? Doesn't scripture already teach these things? Well, there is a problem. And if you believe that, if you believe that, what you are doing is you are then reducing God, a domesticated God that suits you, that suits me. It's reductionist. If you believe that, it will warp you into a narcissist. It's a do-it-yourself kind of religion. And it makes it very comfortable, of course, because you designed it. It makes it very comfortable and easy to live with. And here's why. It makes no real demands. Has no cost. Allows one to live as one pleases with no concern about that dreaded three-letter word, sin, or what we heard in Kyle's message to the children, repentance and accountability to God. And therefore, there is no concern about forgiveness or reconciliation with God. This recently, and I say recently, invented view is not the God of the Bible. It has extremely serious effects on keeping people from the true God, from salvation, the salvation that he offers in Jesus Christ. And here's a, here's a sad part. This is only one of many substitute gods that you can find in the marketplace of American religion. The end result, the sad result, is that this lack of knowledge, because that, that, M, that moralistic therapeutic deism offers a way of thinking about God, but it truly lacks knowledge of the true God. This lack of knowledge of the true God lies at the root of many of the problems that we're going through. It lies at the root of the struggles in our personal lives, the difficulties that churches have, the difficulties in our culture. But even more challenging of all, this way of thinking deadens, deafens our ability to hear God's demanding words. 80 years ago, 
H. Richard Niebuhr poked fun at this particular way of view, way of thinking. He spoke about many of us, even in his time, he says, believe in a God without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. And we have wildly succeeded in exporting this therapeutic gospel. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in Germany also anticipated this moralistic therapeutic deism, and he called it false repentance. He called it cheap grace, that when, when God calls a man or woman, Bonhoeffer said, he calls them to come and to die. And so just to believe in Jesus, he says, it's not enough. If that's all you do, he says, that's not enough. And that's why the air we breathe, the culture in which we're living, collides with the message of John. And they collide in three ways. And I want you to hear me out this morning. One of the reasons why our culture, we would struggle with John's preaching it's because John actually has the audacity to call for repentance. He actually tells people in the opening lines of his sermon, bad news. And if you have your Bibles open, if you would just look with me at verses 7 and 9. Let's look at the way John opens his, mes his message. John said to the crowds that came to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers. Now, he doesn't seem to care if they return next week. You brood of vipers, he said, who warned you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That is tough stuff. John came proclaiming God's imminent judgment. He was preaching against the corrupt governments of his day. He was preaching about the corruption of the Roman police force. He was preaching against the greed of the tax collectors, the selfishness of the rich, the hypocrisy of the relig religious establishment. And in the end, as you know John's story, he was executed without a trial in Herod's dank basement. There's another reason why his message collides with our modern-day designer religion because he also calls, not just for repentance, he calls for the signs of repentance. Look at verses 10 through 14. And the crowds asked him, what should we do? And in reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Then the tax collectors came. They came to be baptized. And they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And John was, was demanding more than just baptism. 
He said, stop stealing. Stop manipulating. Stop taking money from people beyond what's prescribed to you. And then the soldiers came, and they asked him, what should we do? And he said to the soldiers, stop extorting money from anyone. Stop threatening people. Stop bringing trumped-up charges against people and be satisfied with your wages. So, yes, John's message was strong. But do you see what's happening? It moved people's hearts. And some within the crowd wanted to know what must we do. And I love the way in which John's preaching then is like a a laser-guided truth missile. It was, it was geared for each person's situation. And what I love about John's preaching is that true religion, true faith, yes, it has a vertical dimension. And many of us are good at the vertical dimension of our faith. We are dutiful in our church worship. We have our devotional life. We read the Bible. We pray. And John says that's not enough. There needs to be this horizontal implication to our faith that when we prepare room for Jesus, He not only transforms our vertical relationship with God, Jesus is in the business of transforming the way we treat people. Do you agree? Do you agree? You see, for me, I think for John, for you, repentance is both both internal and it's external. So I remember the song that I used to sing when I was a younger Christian, and I loved it. It just made me feel so good when I would sing it back in my home church. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart. Have you heard that one before? Choir, do you know that one? One of these Sundays you need to sing it. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Lord, I want to be more holy. Lord, I, you know, I want, and John would say, stop. Stop it. I don't just want you to be a Christian in your heart. I want you to be a Christian in your home. Who would sing, Lord, I want to be a Christian in my home? I want you to be a Christian at work. I want you to be a Christian in the marketplace. I want you to be a Christian as a husband and a wife, as a single person, whoever you are. I want you to be a Christian in how you relate to people. That's kind of hard to turn away from just an internal way of seeing God to externalizing our faith, bring forth fruit, show the signs. And then the third thing that John does in his sermon that collides with the popular messaging that we hear around us is that he points to the source of sustained repentance. And if you look again at verses 15 through 18, where John says, where where Luke writes, as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John popped their bubble. He said to them, no, I'm not the one. I baptized you with water. But there is one more powerful than I that is coming, and I'm not worthy to even untie 
the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. His winning fork, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, John proclaimed the good news to the people. I'm curious, what's a winnowing fork? When was the last time you used one? A winnowing fork is something that a farmer would use back in the day, would take that fork and plunge it into a pile of wheat. The farmer would throw the wheat up in the air. The, the wind would separate the chaff from the wheat, and the good wheat falls to the ground. And John is saying this morning that when Jesus comes, it will be just like that farmer. There will be a reckoning. Jesus will winnow. He will separate the good from the bad. He will separate the sheep from the goat. He will separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat is preserved. The wheat is stored. The wheat is used while the chaff will be discarded and burned in fire. That's a hard thing to hear, isn't it? Because John is really saying something about his own people when Jesus comes. He's saying something about us. The beauty of John's message, though, it's not just calling out sin, but it's the pointing out of the Savior. John points, yes, to the darkness. He tells them bad news, but then he points them to the light, and he tells them the good news. He tells them they have a problem. There's a sickness, but he points them to the medicine and to the physician. And so when the people then ask, what should we do? John doesn't point to himself. Praise God. He points to the Messiah. Yes, I baptized you with water, but there is one coming who is mightier. I can't even walk in his shoes. And when he comes, he will give you the power to repent. He will give you the grace to repent. He will give you the strength to turn your life toward God and to be transformed. And so he shows them Jesus. And Jesus is not like the politicians of the day. He's not like the priests of the day. Yes, he has power. Yes, he has authority. But he wears it with meekness. Jesus loves the truth. He doesn't cover up the truth, but rather he exposes the lies. He does not kill, but he gives life. He's not in it for himself. He gave his life so that we can live. And then I want you to notice something else, and we didn't read this earlier, but if you have your Bible still open, would you look at verses 19 and 20 in Luke 3? Because some of us wonder, what happened to John? Well, here is the end of John's public ministry. But Herod, this is not Herod the Great, this is Herod's son, Herod Antipas the ruler, who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife. Now, if you're here this morning and you're new to reading the Bible and you're saying, what? What is he talking about? Well, you have to understand, Herod Antipas was married, he had a wife, his brother was married to another woman whose name was Herodias. Herod didn't like his wife anymore. He had feelings for Herodias, his brother's wife. And so what does he do? He seduces his wife. He breaks up her marriage. He breaks up his marriage. And then he marries her 
And off they went. No problem. John says, not so fast. We have a problem here. And John criticizes him. John points his finger at him. John puts him on blast. John went viral with the message and said, what you're doing is wrong. And Herod didn't like that. His, his new wife was offended. And this is what they did to him. Herod the ruler who had been rebuked by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all the evil things that Herod had done, and he's not finished, he's adding one more thing to his resume. He arrested John and shut him up in prison. I think that explains the urgency and the fire that was in this man. When John got out of prison, it was because they carried him out headless. So I'm curious this morning, I hope you are, what might, what might preparation and repentance look like for us living in the DMV? Because think about it, Advent is not a prelude to December 25th. Advent is a season of exposure. What you got, what you got, bear fruits, bear fruits that befit repentance. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. So this is the time, this is a season, both Advent and Lent, when the church goes inward and examines its life and it's the condition of its soul. And if we are coming up short during Advent and Lent, we open our hearts and our lives to God and we say the same words that those people say to John, oh God, what, what? must I do? Because you see, in all of our congregations, in all of our gatherings, there are all kinds of cover-ups going on. There are people who are afraid to acknowledge in some families that this addiction is rotting and destroying the family. And that needs to be brought to the light. No more enabling. There are people who are making their loved ones miserable, and they simply will not ask for help. We've got to bring that to God and say, God, help us. There are staff who cover up for their bosses. There are business partners who cover up for their own partners. There are, there are colonels who cover up for, 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 for generals. There are bishops who cover up for clergy. Yes, there are even parents who cover up for their children, but brothers and sisters, on this third Sunday of Advent, the greatest thing we can do to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ when we hear these kinds of messages is to humble ourselves before Almighty God and say, Lord, what must I do? Show me how to repent. Show me how to bring forth fruit that reflects the condition of my life as I turn to you. I pray that God would do that for you, that God would do that for me, for all of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God's people say, would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, from creation's birth, give life to all that God has made. Show your power once again on earth. Oh, God, cause your church to hunger for your ways. Let the fragrance of our prayers this morning arise. 
lead us on the road to sacrifice, that in unity the face of Christ would be clear for all the world to see. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our great God did not hold back his very best from us. He sent the one who is more powerful than John, the one to whom John pointed, his own beloved son, the savior of the world. This is such a great act of God's generosity and may that inspire our own generous giving in this morning's offering, yes, but in our lives and in the way that we are God's presence to the hurting world. God loves joyful giving.
Please be seated. And let us pray. Receive these gifts we bring, O oh Lord. We wrap them in our praise to you. Would you enlarge our hearts to reach out with love and hope to the broken world that surrounds us? And would you do this by the power of your Holy Spirit within us? Loving God, as we continue in this season of Advent, help us to be expectant people. Bend our thoughts and aspirations beyond the moment, beyond what we can see in front of us at any given time. Although we strive to do our daily tasks faithfully and to your glory, help us to be a people who look ahead, who peer around cosmic corners, and who live in confidence that the ultimate things of existence in this universe are the things that have been secured for us through Jesus Christ. Indeed, they are already a reality in the kingdom that he established. And amid the busyness and the noise of this holiday time, help us to see that you have become incarnate and dwell among us, and that changes everything. Separate the chaff from the wheat in our lives. Help us to focus on the good that we can do and the good that we can be to your glory. Father, the storehouse of our faith is cluttered with well-meaning intentions. Many of the past year's resolutions lie ignored or forgotten. Please remove the gap between our words and our actions as we seek consistency in our faith and living. And because of the reality we know to be true, we're compelled to bring before you today the cares and concerns that burden us. What better place? We pray that you would speak to us in the gracious ways that you know best and that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear your mercy at work in our lives. We lift up our loving, to, to your loving care, those that we know 
in need of healing, especially Pam Loftus, Peter Batelier, Dick Tingley. There are others. We name them in silence now. We join Sarah Crumley and her family in grief over the loss of her father, John McElroy. And we also pray that you would comfort Clarence Normant and all those who mourn the loss of his mother, Nancy McCabe. Lord, shine your light amidst the darkness of many who experience grief this time of year. And light of the world, hear our prayers for a world in tumult. For those who suffer in the Middle East, especially Palestinians struggling for survival, that there would be some kind of future for them. Lord, make a way where there appears to be no way for an abundance of humanitarian aid to flow into Gaza to alleviate hunger, disease, injury, wounds. We pray for the people of Ukraine that they would be protected from ongoing Russian assaults. Grant them continued courage and hope as the war drags on. We lift up our elected officials and other public servants amidst the season of division. And we pray for leaders around the world that they would align their decisions with the values of your kingdom. Almighty God, you have made us and all things to serve you. Now prepare the world for your rule. Come quickly to save us so that wars and violence shall end and your children may live in peace honoring one another with justice and love. We ask this through Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, the one who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Amen. May that be true for each and every one of us. I do want to make one quick update as I listened to Quinn's introduction to the offering. It reminded me that I needed to say something to all of us, that our response to the efforts to support our ministries in 2024, your generosity was, is overwhelming. So many of you responded quickly, vigorously, and strongly to the opportunity to give and it's, it's just wonderful. We're almost, almost reaching our goal for 2024. And if you haven't had a chance to, you've forgotten, if this is your church home and you'd like to support what we're trying to do in the coming years, we encourage you to take one of those blue cards. They're in the baskets around us. They're in the, uh, the Welcome Center. Feel free to take one and you can fill it out and you can turn it in if the Lord so leads you this morning. So let's receive our benediction as we continue to prepare ourselves for Jesus' coming. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus equip us with all that we need. And may Jesus produce in us through the power of God all that is pleasing to him. May he prepare us. May he transform us for the living of our days. This we offer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God's people say, Amen. Advent prompts us to long for the peace on earth that Christ proclaimed. And so, towards that end, would you pass the peace of Christ to one another, to those around you, saying, the peace of Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you.